Well, Happy New Year. As we start 2023 and start a new year on the first day of the year, uh, many of you probably have in mind visions of changes that you're going to make. Uh, some of you may, may have gotten to the point where you've, you've you know, failed at your New Year's resolution so many times you quit making them. Uh, but we often, at the, at the start of the new year, think through, well, I, this year is going to be the year that I do this, right? I want to I read more. Uh, I want to lose some weight. I want to exercise more. I don't know if any of y'all have this. Weird thing happens to me almost every October to January 1st. My clothes seem to shrink. Uh, it's got to be a dryer setting or something. Uh, I don't know, but so, you know, first of the year, I think through, like, I need to start exercising more. I need to, uh, you know, I need to change my diet. As we think through changes, as we think through habits that we want to create, church, let's be sure we start also, because those are good things. There's nothing wrong with pursuing better health, but let's also pursue uh, changes in living out our faith. I want, I want to be more faithful to Jesus this year than I was last year. So let's, as we're thinking through what does my new year, a new year and a new me look like, let that include challenges and stretches in our faith as well. We spent last month being reminded of the story of God sending His Son to save us from our sins. And so that leads the church to ask the question, well, then how do we live in response to that? What, what should my life look like now that God has done this? Jesus came into this world, died for my sins so that I could be forgiven, so that I could be adopted into the family of God. And God's Word gives us some instructions of how we should live in response to that, how we should live in light of the good news. And so our sermon is titled, Living in Light of Our Salvation. Living in Light of Our Salvation Turn with me to Romans 12. We're going to look at the first two verses of Romans 12 today as a way to think through. Since we've been reminded that a Savior has been provided for us, how should we respond in our lives? Romans 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, this is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for a new year. We pray that you will help us this year, be fixed upon Jesus, have our gaze constantly fixed on Jesus, and that you will shape us into the, the men and women that you desire us to be, the children of God that you desire us to be. We pray this through the power of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
So the answer to living in light of our salvation, how a believer should live and and what their lives should be looked like because of the salvation that has been provided is obedience. We should live lives of obedience to God. Right? In light of our salvation, we should pursue godly living. And so as we look at these two verses from Romans 12, that's what I want us to think of is, what does this show us about godly living? About how godly living can be applied in our lives and what it should look like, what it includes. And so the first thing I want us to see from this is godly living requires a gospel-focused life. Godly living requires a gospel-focused life. Let's look at verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. So let's first look... This is one of those, like, this is only two verses. Don't think that we're going to get out early, though. It's one of these two verses are so full. There are so many things that we could explore here. Uh, The first thing I want us to see uh, is what our lives should look like. And that comes in the middle of the sentence. Paul says, I urge you, I urge you to present your lives as a living sacrifice. So that means we should live lives that are holy, live lives that are set apart, live lives that please God, lives of obedience. So the the decisions we make, uh, the way that we live would be used to honor God, would, would be a way to please our God, saying, God, I want this. I want to do this. I want to live like this. However, your word tells me that this is your desire. Your word tells me that you have a different plan for me. So help me. Help me be the kind of person you want me to be, not just the kind of person I want to be. And Paul says, you know, this is a sacrifice. This is a daily sacrifice, right? The, the living sacrifice. This isn't a once and, you know, once and done type thing. This is every single day should be lives of sacrifice where we put our will, our desires aside and say, God, what is it that you want me to do? That's where Christ talked to his followers about daily taking up their cross. And following him. That's what a living sacrifice looks like. And this pushes against our culture. Let's be honest, this pushes against our own hearts. It pushes against my heart. I want to do what I want to do, I want to do what I like to do. And oftentimes, because of my sin twisted heart, it's not what God desires for me. And so daily, Paul is saying, this is what I urge, from, urge of you, brothers and sisters. If you are a follower of Christ, daily sacrifice yourself and line yourself up with what it is that God wants for you. We are constantly wanting things our way. Now, it's important that we understand this is not a call to earn our salvation, right? Right? 
This is not a call to like get your act together so that you can earn what it is that God has done. Because look at how that verse starts in verse 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God. In view of the mercies of God. I remember hearing in my first semester at DTS, first semester of seminary, we take Bible study methods, and I remember the professor talking to us. Anytime you get to Scripture and you see the word, therefore, stop and ask, what's it there for? Right? That you've probably heard that phrase before, and that goes across all literature. If, if an author uses the word, therefore, what they're about to say directly connects to what they've been talking about previously. And so Paul starts chapter 12 with the word, therefore. So what's Paul been talking about? Well, for, for 11 chapters, Paul's been talking about the salvation of God. For 11 chapters, Paul has been talking about all that God has done to rescue us. All that has been accomplished through Jesus Christ. The assurances we have because of Jesus Christ. The hope that we have because of the Spirit of God now indwelling in us. So for 11 chapters, he's gone on to talk about everything that God has done. And now we have a transition to the rest of the book of Romans. And verse 1 and 2 is a summary. So, therefore... Now that we've seen everything that God has done, now that we've talked about all of these things that God has been doing to rescue you, here's what we need to do in response to that. Here's how we live in response to that. So it's not a earn your salvation. It's because of the salvation that's been provided. This is how you should live. You should live a life of sacrifice because of the salvation that God has given you. Right? And so if we are going to pursue godly living, we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus. We've got to keep our eyes on what Jesus has accomplished for us. It says, in view of the mercies of God. So before he tells us this is how you should live, you live in view of the mercies of God. And not just one-time mercy. His Our whole life as a believer is a life that's experiencing the mercies of God over and over and over again through Jesus Christ. And so in view of the mercies of God, keep those in mind. Keep focusing in on the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ died for you. Therefore... You need to live a life that sacrifices yourself daily and says, God, what is it you want from me here? We need to remind ourselves regularly of the gospel, keeping in view the mercies of God as we pursue godly living. The gospel isn't something we move on from. And we often think of that. And sometimes you'll hear people express it that way that you know that we think of the gospel as the abcs of christian life and i think it was tim keller talks about like the gospel is not just the abcs of christian life it's the a to z of the christian life it's all of our christian life needs to be centered and grounded and focused on what jesus christ has accomplished it's not just the good news that is the on-ramp into the christian faith it's everything that we should 
live and do, every breath we should take is grounded and rooted in what Jesus has accomplished for us. So we need to be reminded regularly of that. All believers need that. Paul speaks about that in Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15 as he's talking to them about the way they need to think about their lives, the way they need to think about the hope that they have. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4, we see this. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preach to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message that I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, For I passed on to you, As most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. I believe the ESV and other translations says, I will remind you, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the Gospel that I preach to you. They needed to be reminded. It's not something they needed to move on to. As, as Paul is writing to them about the hope that they had, they needed to be reminded of what Jesus Christ had done for them. And in verse 3, he says, This is most important. I gave you the most important thing that you could ever hear, the most important news that you could ever receive. Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and then rose again on the third day. We need to constantly be reminded we aren't any different than the Corinthians or any other believers. We need, if we're going to pursue a godly life, if we're going to pursue a life of obedience, we need to do so by being reminded of what God has done for us. Paul goes on to argue that obedience... A living sacrifice is actually the only rational thing that makes sense. If you look at, if you are reminded of what Jesus Christ did for you, it only makes sense that your life would be completely given over to obedience to Him. Back in Romans 12, the end of verse 1 says, This is your true worship. The original text actually would probably better be translated this is your this is your rational worship or this is your logical worship so in view of the mercies of god live your life as a sacrifice to god for what he's done for you and then he says that's the only thing that makes sense any other response than complete obedience and giving your life over to jesus doesn't make sense if you're focused in on what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. Tim Keller says, once you have a good view of God's mercy, anything less than total and complete sacrifice of yourself to God is completely irrational. If you give yourself partially, if you give yourself half-heartedly, you are simply not thinking, you are not looking at what Jesus did. So we need to have a gospel-focused life, daily remembering what it is that Jesus did for us. That's how we can pursue a life of obedience. So what if we started each morning 
reminding ourselves, Jesus died for me. He died for my sins. And then what if we prayed, God, every decision I make today, every action that I take, every word that I speak today, help me sacrifice it and then help me live a life that actually brings honor to Jesus, brings honor to you because of the mercy that you've given me. Let's ask God to help us live our lives in light of our salvation as we keep our focus on the good news of the gospel. The second truth from this text is this. Godly living requires nonconformity to this world. Godly living requires nonconformity to, the world, to this world. We're just going to look at the first few words of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed to this age. Our lives are constantly being shaped from the time we are born, actually from the time we are conceived, right? Things happen to us even in the womb that we are being shaped by. The things that we experience, the things that we see, the things that we learn and encounter, they are all teaching us, they are shaping us. We're constantly being molded. And Paul now says, we've got to stop being molded by the world. We've got to stop looking like the world. We can't be shaped by the ways of this world anymore. The way the world thinks about things, the way the world does things, that can't be what shapes a follower of Christ. Because the world is opposed to God. And that's a constant temptation for every one of us as believers to be shaped by the world, to think this isn't that big of a thing. For parents of young kids, sometimes that's what shapes how we make decisions. We don't want our kids to look different than others, so we'll budge a little bit on some things, right? It's a constant temptation to look more like the world. And Paul is saying, we've got to stop that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you need to not be conformed into the image of this age or into the image of this world. This age is still pursuing what it wants, what it desires. Individual believers and the church as a whole, we have to stop trying to look more and more like the world. And I don't want to be weird to other people. I want people to like me. And so it's a temptation to look more and more like the world. And Paul says that can't be how we are as followers of Christ. Right? We're constantly being shaped and molded and the world is trying to say it's okay to pursue Power. It's okay to pursue politics. It's okay to embrace a certain sexual ethic. It's okay to do these things. And Paul says, stop being shaped by the world. No more. As you keep your mind on the gospel, don't let the world shape you. You don't have to look like the world. You should live differently. The next chapter of Romans, he goes on to, to talk about putting off the, the deeds that we used to walk in. Romans 13, 
12 through 14, the night is nearly over and the day is near, so let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk with decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual impurity and promiscuity, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and don't make plans to gratify the desires of the flesh. Put off the deeds of darkness. Put off sin. Earlier in Romans, Paul talks about putting sin to death. That's something that believers are supposed to do. Put sin to death. So instead of living in the ways of this world, instead of letting the world dictate and shape us into what the world looks like, we are to live our lives like Christ. He says here, put on Jesus. Live every life, every day. Live every decision based off on what would Christ do in this? What does Christ desire in this? Don't let the world shape us and mold us. So church, let's commit to doing that. Let's commit to living each day more and more like Jesus and less like this world. That's what God desires from us. And the good news is that's what He's working to produce in us. He's at work doing this. So let's join Him in that. But to do so, we have to stop letting the world shape us. Third point from Romans 12. Godly living requires a transformed mind. Godly living requires a transformed mind. So if we're going to pursue godly living, if we're going to no longer be shaped by the world, what we need is a renewed mind, a transformed mind. We need a transformation in us. So verse 12, or chapter 12, verse 2 again. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So instead of conformity, we need transformation. We need a new way of thinking about things. A new way of viewing things that we experience. We need a complete renewal and restoration. The Greek word here, is metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis from, right? So think about a caterpillar. It goes through a metamorphosis. It goes through a transformation. It starts out as one thing and it is completely transformed into something different. And Paul says that's what it should look like as a follower of Jesus. You should be completely transformed. And your mind is included in that. You need a completely new mind. A transformed mind. We should see things differently now as followers of Christ. And why do we need a new mind? Paul goes on to tell us at the end of verse 2. So that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. I love that triple layer of description of God's will. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
You want to know God's will? We pray for it often, right? I just want to know what God wants for me in this. His will is good. His will is perfect. And Paul says, if you will have a transformed mind, if you will let God shape how you see things and how you think about things, you'll actually know the will of God. You'll know what it is that He wants you to do. If you have a transformed mind, if you continue to keep your eyes fixed on the good news of the Gospel and what Jesus Christ has done for you, you will know what God desires for you. Well, how should I respond in this situation? With a transformed mind, you'll know what it is that God wants from you. How should I deal with this temptation that I'm still dealing with after 30 years of following Jesus? How do I respond to this? With a transformed mind that's fixed on the mercies of God that have been provided through Jesus Christ, you'll know how God wants you to respond and you'll actually have the ability to respond. If we're going to pursue godly living, we need a transformed mind. And that's really hard work. It's actually impossible work on our own. But we've talked about that before. We, we aren't on our own. God in His goodness, God in His kindness did not leave us on our own doing the work for salvation and then saying, alright, get busy keeping it up. Good luck. He didn't leave us alone in the transformation, in our sanctification, in looking more and more like Jesus. He's actually working in us to do that. And so God wants us to join Him in that. As He is working to change us, He wants us to join Him. The Spirit of God is at work in every believer. And Galatians, in that familiar couple of verses, Galatians 5, 22 and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, Gentleness and self-control, the law is not against such things. This is what the Spirit, of the, God, uh, the Spirit of God is producing in us. This is what He wants to produce in us. We aren't naturally bent this way. But the Spirit of God is producing these things. And so believers, every single one of us has the Holy Spirit working in us. He is changing us to look more and more like Jesus. And one of the things that we see, one of the things that Scripture reminds us, is that the Spirit uses the Word of God in that process. Right? The Spirit uses the truth from God's Word to shape us, to renew us, to help us think differently. Because our minds are bent because of sin. We look like the world. But God is changing us and He uses His Word to do so. And so we see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, this description of God's Word. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching 
for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is what we confess about the Bible. It's true because it's breathed out by God. It's inspired by God. And since it's true, it should be used to teach us. It should be used at times to rebuke us and say, this is wrong. It should be times to correct us when our our thinking even when we're trying, might be a little bit off from what God wants. It's a a correction to us. And it should be used to train us to live the lives that God wants for us. To live righteous and holy lives that are pleasing God, that bring honor and glory to Him. And as I said, God has not left us alone in the process of transformation. He's given us His Holy Spirit. And we have His Word. And so let's be a people that are committed to it. Committed to spending time in it this year. Committed to being a people that are shaped by it through the power of the Holy Spirit to look more and more like Jesus. Let's commit to regularly reading God's Word. And as we read, ask the Holy Spirit, is there something I need to learn from this? What is it? Is there a rebuke that I need to hear where I'm in complete opposition to God? Give it. Do I need to be corrected anyway? Do I need to be trained in any way? And the Holy Spirit will do that for us. The Holy Spirit will teach us, will correct us, will train us in the righteousness that God desires for us. I've provided, Chris mentioned in our uh, announcement time, the reading plan. Uh, I thought it would be good for us, and I know some of you have other reading plans that you may do. Uh, If you've already got one that you're committed to for the year and you can't fit in another one, stick with the one that you've got. But I thought this would be a really good tool for us to challenge ourselves in this new year to get into God's Word and ask God, God, shape me, teach me, train me to live like you want me to live and so the navigator's five by five reading, five by five by five reading plan uh, is a simple tool. They say if you'll spend about five minutes a day, five days a week. So just read one chapter a day, five days a week from the New Testament. By the end of this year, we will have read all 260 chapters of the New Testament. Five minutes. Think of all of the instruction that we can hear from God. Truly the inspired Word of God teaching us and the Holy Spirit working to change us. This will start tomorrow and we'll send out, like if you're on Facebook, we'll send out reminders on Facebook of what our our readings are for the week. But join us in that. One chapter a day, five days a week. Let's explore God's Word I would love for you to be a part of that. And let's be a people that are constantly being shaped by the Spirit into more and more of the image.
image of Jesus. And now, if you don't know Jesus, if you've not trusted in him, if you've not received the salvation that he has provided, that's the first step for you. So the idea of pleasing God and doing what God wants apart from Jesus Christ is impossible. You cannot live how God wants you to live without putting your faith in Christ. So would you believe in him today? And if you want to know more about what that looks like, if you want to know more about the good news of the gospel and what he has done for us, please schedule a time to talk with me. And then you can start to pursue the life that honors God. Church, it's a new year. And as we remind ourselves of our salvation, let's stay full focused as we commit to living our lives in response to what it is that God has done for us. Let's be a people of God's Word, reading it and asking God, 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 make me into the image of Jesus. Teach me how I need to live. Let's learn from God's Word and be molded by it through the power of the Holy Spirit, no longer being molded and shaped by the world. Let's be a people of obedience that honors God with our lives. What if we let God, what if we just gave Him permission as if He needs it? But what if we ask God and just say, God, do with me whatever you want this year. In 2023, you've got it. Just shape me into the man you want me to be. Shape me into the woman that you want me to be. What if we did that? Think of the kingdom impact that could happen through our lives and through this church if we would commit to that. Just giving God permission to change us, to look more and more like our precious Savior. Think about the, shape, the, the way that we would shape our city and our world for God's glory. Let's join together in that church. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and care. Thank you for your mercy. Keep working. Keep changing us. Keep shaping us through your word, God. Use us for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you have a child that's in the nursery, if you would please go get them and bring them back in. We want our nursery workers to be able to join us in our time of communion. As they are picking up children from the nursery, we want to take a moment to prepare our hearts through some time of reflection and prayer. We're going to have some instrumental music playing here in just a minute. And what I'd like for each of us to do, we've been doing this for uh, the last few months on the first Sunday of the month. I would just like us to spend some time remembering God loves me. God sent His Son for me. Jesus died for my sins, for my rebellion. And as we reflect on that, let's pray. If you have sins that you need to confess, that you haven't been confessing, sins that you've been walking in this week, ask God for forgiveness. And remember that His mercy is new every single morning.
He won't withhold that. Thank Jesus for dying for you during this prayer time. Let's reflect on the reality that Jesus died for our sins and let's pray about that for the next couple of minutes and then we'll look at a passage of Scripture uh, and take our elements together. But let's pray for a few moments.
If you didn't pick up the elements, they're on the back table if you need to get those before our time of communion. And, and just to clarify, since I, I didn't make it clear, the reading plan was in the bulletin. If you did not get a bulletin, there's extras kind of scattered around in some of the empty seats. So if you're wanting to take the Navigator's reading plan home, it's available for you to, to pick up. Uh, if you didn't get a bulletin, find an empty seat and we'll make sure that you get one of those uh, so that you can start reading with us uh, tomorrow. Colossians 1, starting in verse 13 through 22, one of those beautiful passages that describes our Savior and what God has accomplished through Him. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his shed blood, I'm sorry, through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy and faultless and blameless before him. God sent Jesus to redeem us to forgive us for our sins. The very Son of God, who created all things, who was before all things, who holds all things together, still to this day, came and lived a perfect life, the life that we were called to live. And He died on a cross for our sins so that we could have peace with God. God reconciled us to Himself. He restored us and restored our relationship with Him through the death of Jesus in our place. And so as we take communion together, church, it is this that we are remembering. Jesus' body was given for us so that we could have life. Jesus' Jesus's blood was shed for us so that we could have forgiveness. And Jesus instructed His followers to do this as a way to remember Him, as a way to remember all that He did. And so in Matthew 26, we read on the night that He was betrayed, Matthew 26, verse 26, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body. 
Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Taking your bread... This is the body of Christ given for you. And taking your cup, this is the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. As I pray, the worship team is going to come up Lead us in our closing song.